Hello, all our video and podcast folks. Thank you so much for taking time uh, to dive deep in God's Word. My name is Adam, and I'm the senior pastor at First United Methodist Church in Kearney, Missouri. And we are continuing our series called Enemy Origins, where we're looking at the roots, biblically, of where our concepts uh, about Satan come from and comparing those with what our culture says the deal is about the devil. So the devil has had a place in popular culture for a long time. If you're of a certain generation, you may remember the controversy over the band KISS, which people thought stood for Knights in Satan's Service. So they had a whole kind of following or, or controversy about that. And then in my generation, uh, you may remember Marilyn Manson. He was associated with the devil. That's been his shtick for a long, long time. He's still doing his thing. Good for him. Uh, so what are we to do with the descriptions or the suspicions we see about the devil in popular culture versus what we find in the Bible? That's what our series has been all about with enemy origins. What we set out to do in the series is take our picture of Satan and pull it apart like a puzzle and kind of look at it in three different phases. What about the devil can we know from the Bible? What conclusions can we draw about the devil from scripture, but they require some interpretation, or in some cases, maybe it's a bit of a stretch. And what is the picture we get of the devil that is purely cultural, that we sometimes confuse with sources from the Bible? So we're gonna continue to examine this week uh, a similar pattern that we did last week in looking at the original language and what that can tell us about the devil uh, and how the scriptures speak to that. Last week, we focused on the Hebrew word Satan and its use. Um, and this week, we're going to be diving into uh, several Greek terms and, and analyzing the devil from that aspect. Um, the meaning of Satan in the Old Testament was an adversary, an oppositional force. And that word occurred 27 times, and it was rarely a proper noun. It was used to describe human opponents. It was actually used to describe an angel that God sent at one point uh, to, to do God's work. So there's kind of a broader definition of Satan in Hebrew than, than we might think. Now in the New Testament, the dynamics are much different. And, and it's important to study words because words convey meaning. And so these give us clues as to how we can understand this concept of Satan or in the New Testament, the devil if you include references to demons or supernatural forces, kind of broaden that concept beyond just the devil. If you include supernatural forces or demons, there are over 500 word occurrences in the New Testament. So we see a huge uptick in, in this concept when we, when we move from the Old Testament to the New. By my count, there are over 100 references to Satan or the devil, by a variety of names. We have Satan, 37 times. The devil, 33 times. The evil one, 15 times. And we have uh, a figure described as a dragon, the father of lies, a serpent or snake, the enemy, and the accuser. So not only is there a huge uptick in word occurrences, in how often Satan is referenced, but we also get a lot more depth in the way that the devil is referenced. 
Last week we talked about how opposition or an adversary kind of was a broad term meant to describe someone's role or function and not an actual personification of evil. But in the New Testament, this shows the progress in how Satan was conceived. Because rather than Satan being like a general role someone plays as an adversary, we now get a much more specific uh, use of words. We see in the, in the Greek that Satan is referred to as a proper noun, as in a Satan, as in the devil. Five different times in the Gospels, Jesus refers to Satan as the evil one. That's pretty specific. This is new information. We've, we've seen a growth in the concept from the Old to the New Testament. And this is an example of an important idea in theology called progressive revelation. And, and this is the concept that God reveals more and more of God's self over time. You know, revelation is a pretty uh, intense word. Um, it's, it's a very mysterious book of the Bible. That's a whole other sermon series. Uh, don't worry about that today. But it's that key word we can hear revealed. Revelation is God's revealing of himself. And the concept of progressive revelation means that over time, God revealed more and more of himself. And this concept of progressive revelation allows us to understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament because we have more information. God has revealed more of himself. And we have a fuller picture of God's work in history. And so our goal in this series has been to take our picture of Satan and pull it apart like a puzzle. What's the biblical picture? What have associations have people made? And what is purely cultural? You know, Knights and Satan's service and all that stuff, all the red tights, all the pitchfork, a lot of the stuff that we think, oh, that's in the Bible, right? It's not. And we looked at a lot of that last week. So the New Testament gives us the image of the devil and it's a much more personified picture. It's an individual, the evil one. It's part of what we looked at in that nice little chart a minute ago. So while we don't get a lot of information on the devil's origins in the New Testament, we do read in 1 John that the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So the devil isn't new and this scripture tells us that the devil's work has been around since the beginning. Last week, we spoke of Satan as an oppositional force. And this week, we're going to examine the devil's tactics of temptation. A prime example of not only the characterization of the devil as a person, but also the function or the role or the tactics he uses is the devil's temptation of Jesus in the desert. And so we're going to be spending time in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So now we've got some new data. Jesus has just been baptized, and he's about to begin his three-year ministry uh, he, he's about to set off, but before he does that, he goes and, and for a season is, is tested. He's being prepared in the desert. And the first thing he faces is the temptation in the desert to prove he's the son of God. That's what the devil uh, is tempting him to do. This is a massive shift in how Satan is depicted. 
In the Greek, diabolos is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word satan. What we have in this episode in Jesus' life is evil personified. It's the devil. He's speaking to Jesus, he's tempting him, and he has a name, Diabolu. This is his proper name, the devil, a proper noun. So this is a progressive revelation. This is a a huge shift between the Old and New Testaments like we've been looking at. And let's also note when this temptation comes. This is the devil showing up after Jesus has been fasting for some time. The practice of fasting is willingly denying yourself something in order to focus on how much you need God. When you feel that physical need of hunger, it's, it's a tangible reminder of your, your need for God, your dependence upon God. And so the devil shows up when Jesus is trying to empty himself physically in order to fill himself up spiritually. The devil shows up at this, at this pr- prime time and is like, hey, you know what sounds pretty good? Some bread. Why don't you do something about that, Jesus? Why don't you show out a little bit? He's trying to hit Jesus where he's weakest. And tempta- usually something we don't want or need isn't very tempting, right? It's, it's, it's things that would be helpful or that we desire that are, are actually tempting. It's hard to be tempted by something you couldn't use or you don't want. But beyond physical hunger, the devil is tempting Jesus to prove that he doesn't need God to produce food for himself. The temptation here is for Jesus to show how much he's worth by what he can do. Author and pastor Henry Nouwen characterized these three temptations we're going to look at. And he says this first one is the temptation to be productive. That's the real temptation that the devil is offering to Jesus, to be productive. And here's what I mean by that. We face the same temptation. To value ourselves according to what we can produce. We have all sorts of ways we measure this. We assign letters and numbers to our children to show how productive they are their GPA, or their ACT. My son's very proud of all the Starbucks points he earns in his kindergarten class. And I'm proud of him too. First one to 300. But it already starts, he's in kindergarten. And I have a way to measure his behavior in terms of productivity and where he ranks in according to his classmates. Right, I I don't know if this is in vogue anymore, if it's still a thing, but when I was in high school, we actually had a class rank. I could rank myself according to my peers of how productive I was academically. And so in our society, it's, it's not difficult to think that your life only matters as much as how much you can produce. As we grow into adulthood, we can quantify our worth by our salaries or by the accomplishments of our children or the type of car we drive or when we're able to afford retirement or the vacations we take or the clothes we wear or the type of phones we own. All of these things can be symbols of how productive we are. And if we produce stuff that's worth a lot of money, or if we earn a lot of money, well, then we must be worth a lot as a person. That's the toxic idea and the temptation to be productive. But Jesus didn't have any any of it. He answers in verse four, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is more to life than what we can produce. God loves us not because of what we do or what we accomplish, but because we are his children. Jesus' response to the devil's temptation is is that having God's perspective 
from his word is more important to our living than food. In order to fight the temptation, Jesus quotes scripture. One does not live by bread alone, he says. That's from Deuteronomy 8, 3, back in the Old Testament. What's interesting is that in phase two of the devil's temptation, he mirrors Jesus' tactics and tries to quote some scripture himself. So let's read on as the devil tempts Jesus for a second time in Matthew chapter four, verses five through seven. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, do not put your Lord God to the test. So the tactics have changed, and and the devil is trying to use some of Jesus' own ammo against him. Well, if you're the son of God, why don't you do a base jump off this temple here and prove to everybody uh, uh, that the angels can save you. That's what God's word says, right? And this isn't just the the tempting of scripture. It's to try and get Jesus to be impressive. So if the first temptation was about productivity, the second temptation is about getting Jesus to try and impress people. I love what Henry Nouwen says. Jesus refused to be a stuntman. He did not come to prove himself. He did not come to walk on hot coals, swallow fire, or put his hand in the lion's mouth to demonstrate that he had something to say. Now this temptation to be impressive is a real one because when Jesus showed up and claimed he was the son of God, claimed he was the Messiah, he was not what people expected. Jesus himself said that he was homeless. Is is that what you're looking for in, in, in a political and military leader? When he made his grand entrance into Jerusalem, it was on a donkey. He associated with, shall we say, the least popular folks. And imagine the self-restraint it took for Jesus to restrain showing his glory of all that he was capable of. Now, you might not have had a conversation about jumping off a building to gain notoriety, but we each fight the temptation to let other people's opinions about us determine our actions. We fight that battle every day. What you wear, who you hang out with, what career you choose, where you live, where you sit in the cafeteria, just about any decision you make can be run through the filter of what will make me look most impressive to other people. I thought about it when I got dressed today. I did a little hair check in the iPad here before I got on video. It's a pretty good hair day, right? It's so easy to have that temptation constantly in your mind. How can I position myself to be most impressive to the people I'll interact with today? That's what the devil is trying to tempt Jesus with. But having gone 0 for 2 in temptations, the devil tries to go out with a bang. This is what he says. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Just about everybody expected the Messiah who was promised to be a political and military leader. Someone to revolt against the Romans and restore Israel's greatness. This is what the devil is offering Jesus. It's the temptation to be powerful. Powerful. All Jesus had to do to attain this worldly power was bow down and worship Satan. He could take the shortcut and worship the devil instead of God. And in doing this, 
he would avoid his terrible fate in dying on the cross. The devil is offering Jesus an out from his journey to the cross before it even begins if all he'll do is bow down and worship him. If he'll just use his power for selfish reasons. There's a phrase that goes, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Meaning most people enjoy having power and most, maybe, maybe all, will eventually use that power selfishly. But not Jesus. Having gone 0 for 3, the devil departs. And we see this temptation of Jesus in some of the other gospels as well. And I love how this same story, the same episode concludes in the book of Luke. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him, from Jesus, until a more opportune time. The devil uses temptation when we are at our most vulnerable. And there's a subtle nature to temptation, right? Just like the devil twisted the words of scripture to tempt Jesus, we can usually recognize temptation uh, when, it, when, it's, when it's in a stark form or, or when it's obvious, but that's not usually how it works. Temptation often seems credible, like a good idea or something you could justify easily. Satan was tempting Jesus in certain ways because Satan knew what Jesus was capable of. Temptation is sneaky and it is ever present. And this is the work of the devil. So the question for us today is what voice will you listen to? The voice that says we should pursue productivity, impressing everyone and being powerful no matter what the cost? Or the voice of Jesus? In each of the devil's temptations, there was a pattern. Jesus met every temptation of the devil with the scripture. When he was tempted with the distortion of the truth, Jesus relied on his, on his relationship with God and his knowledge of the scriptures to remind himself of the actual truth. And this is how he disarmed the tempter's lies. So discerning temptation from truth is a skill that we can develop. It's, it's a muscle that we can build. It's developed in prayer, in our understanding of God's word and in community. I love what 1 Thessalonians says. Test everything, hold fast to what is good and abstain from every evil. There are spiritual practices that we can engage in in order to test the things being presented to us. And it's a skill that we can sharpen. And it's important. Like you ever hear a rumor about a friend and think, well, I don't know. That, that, that doesn't sound like the, the friend I know. We can actually feel that way about God. You can test ideas and possibilities that conclude, well, what does this fit with, with what I know about God? This is how Jesus resisted the devil in the desert, and he was well acquainted with the character and the work of God. That's our goal in order to be able to resist temptation and to pass the test. Because we'll face them every day in very subtle ways. So, so this series, it was conceived as enemy origins, right? Like investigating the roots of, of Satan or the devil. And it's, it may be a bit frustrating or a bit of a letdown. Uh, where did the devil come from? Scripture doesn't actually offer much specific information on the origins of the devil, there are a lot of other things in the New Testament that we just didn't have time to address. I don't even have to a time to address all the things I didn't have time to address. 
I, we can make a long list and, and there's lots of good information out there. But for me, Jesus' temptation in the desert by this specific entity, this proper noun, the devil, along with Jesus' multiple references in the Gospels to the evil one, makes me believe in a personified tempter or enemy. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And when you look at other descriptions of the devil in the Gospels, in, in the book of Revelation, and some of the other New Testament letters, here's what I conclude. The devil was originally a created being like the other angels, and now has influence and power here on earth. In the Bible, we have progressive revelation about the devil. And thousands of years after the scriptures were written, uh, throughout time, people have been wrestling with the reality of evil and in all cultures and across all times have, have, have had cultural concepts about the existence of the devil. And in 2019, it's no different. It seems that the devil worked much differently in biblical times, though. And, and there's, there's a great quote that John Wesley has about the way that the devil works. Because for many of us, it would seem ridiculous that there's some dude in red tights running around causing mischief. Right? That seems ridiculous. But to dismiss the devil may be one of his great temptations. This is what John Wesley said. The manner in which Satan possesses people now differs from that wherein he did it of old time. Then he frequently tormented their bodies as well as souls, and that openly without any disguise. Now he torments their souls only, unless in some rare cases, and that as covertly as possible. The reason of this difference is plain. It was then his aim to drive mankind into superstition. Therefore, he worked as openly as he could. But it is his aim now to drive us into infidelity or unbelief. Therefore, he works as privately as he can, for the more secret he is, the more he prevails. So what Wesley's saying sounds a lot like that great line from the movie, The Usual Suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Friends, opposition and temptation are very real and presently at work in the world. But let's not forget that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for a place that we can come and experience your presence together. And, and, and we call to mind in this moment those temptations that we each face. They come in a lot of different forms, both internal and external. But we have a lot of things both of our own will and outside of it that can separate us from you. So help us to follow the pattern that Jesus set, who was so confident in his relationship with his heavenly father that he knew he could rely on the good word to help defeat the temptation 
to pass every test. And we ask that that same strength be available to us through your Holy Spirit, that we would be so well acquainted that we would walk with you through every temptation, relying not just on our own will, our own ability to overcome it, but the grace that only you can supply. We thank you for uh, the infinite depth that your word contains. And we know we've only scratched the surface. So thank you for this time to dive deep into uh, a very important and sometimes overlooked topic and keep everybody safe in our community this Halloween. And everybody said, amen.